The following podcast is a W2M Network original production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. Wrestling to the Max, Monday Night Raw, review. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Wrestling to the Max's Raw Review for September 18th, 2017. And of course, we are brought to you by W2Mnet.com, the place where you go find all your great wrestling needs, plus a lot more. Hey, and also go search us out. Just type in Wrestling to the Max wherever you find podcasts and you will get us. Trust me, we're everywhere. We're on iHeartRadio. We're on Spreaker. We're, heck, I mean, every single place you look, maybe even YouTube if you're over there. Go check us out. And of course, once again, make sure you go send some love over to 4womanmania.com as well as lastwordonprowrestling.com. They support us as well and we appreciate everything they do for us. I am Gary Vaughn and along with me tonight is your host, Paul Leaser. hey And the guy that we love to talk to whenever we do get a chance, and finally, once again, we are here and have that opportunity, Mr. Harry Broadhurst. Good evening, gentlemen. Unfortunately, Monday Night Football required Tony's services, so the reaction was a no-go tonight, therefore I am available. Ah, so hey, whenever we can get you, man, I'm just, it's, it's awesome. So it is to, you know, maybe disservice to you um but it's it's a great service to us so we're glad to have you tonight harry and of course make sure you go search out of course all those places i told you to go find us because not only if you go check out wtmnet.com but you'll find harry on wrestling unwrapped another great show on the network go check out the wtm network another place to go subscribe rate and review so i want to throw that plug in there for you harry and he'll give you the more information later in the show uh but tonight we're here to talk about raw uh so paul let's do this thing yeah let's do it uh, and Raw opens this week with Kurt Angle coming out, hyping up No Mercy, talking about the two big matches being, of course, Reigns and Cena, and, of course, Strowman and Brock Lesnar. This, however, brings out The Miz and his Miz-Daraj, who are quite upset that The Miz is being left off of the show once again, and he is eager to defend his Intercontinental Championship since it has not been defended on the past two pay-per-views. Uh, so Kurt makes a match for this evening where it's going to be Jason Jordan Matt Hardy, Jeff Hardy, and Elias in a fatal four-way. Uh, however, The Miz starts running Kurt Angle over, uh, calling him a deadbeat, calling him an absentee father, and he's doing all this to make up to Jason Jordan because he thinks that Jason does not deserve a shot at the championship. So this brings Jordan out, who is all kinds of pissed off, and he wants Kurt to add uh, Curtis Axel and Bo Dallas to the match. That way, Miz will realize that there's no excuses when he wins the championship or when he wins the match tonight and then goes on to beat him for the title that he is just as good as Kurt Angle believes him to be. This gets made. However, Kurt uh Kurt The Miz continues to take shots at Kurt and this pisses Jason Jordan off, which leads to a bit of a brawl. He clears out the ring and stands tall. We cut backstage after the commercial and Kurt is trying to calm Jason down, uh, who is growing sick and tired of people whispering behind his back about himself and about his relationship with his dad, and he's trying to prove everybody wrong, and Kurt is trying to get him to do it the right way, but Jason looks like he just wants to fight everybody. 
Yeah, and that's what, you know, uh, we kind of expected eventually, right? I mean, we expected some kind of situation where it's about Jason Jordan versus the locker room, about everybody, you know, getting into his personal business, about him proving himself not only to the locker room, but to his dad. And I think we're getting a little bit of that. And, you know, this back and forth with The Miz, is it's actually kind of a positive thing, if you ask me, because The Miz is just a jerk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he brings all those pieces of negativity and of course being a heel to face off against a guy that right now at this moment we're supposed to look at as a good guy in jason jordan so i think a lot of this worked i i I love the miz and what he was doing here and and all those shots he took at angle i mean it's just so perfect it's been a you know you know in a while since we heard such big just digs at somebody because you know let's face it talking smack is gone the miz is no longer there hanging out with daniel bryan and making his life miserable mm-hmm. now he's here to do that to kurt angle and i, I kind of it, it's just fun i i enjoyed it i think the big thing to come out of this is going to be especially given that they did the teasing with the backstage segment immediately afterwards i feel like eventually jason jordan's going to end up turning heel in this persona mm-hmm. because of the fact that kurt angle is going to keep trying to talk him off the ledge and eventually jordan's just going to end up snapping on someone and that someone may end up being angle himself as far as Jason Jordan working with the Miz goes, I don't think there's anything but positive that can come for that for Jordan's singles career because, in my opinion, and I've said this before on multiple platforms, I feel like the Miz has arguably been the WWE's most valuable player since the brand split last year. Yeah, uh, I'm not going to argue with that one. I, I wouldn't either. Uh, and me and Gary often talk on here that we've been, it looks like really almost from the start, that this might turn Jason heel just because nobody really bought into the fact that he was actually Kurt's son and everything. I tell you what really sent this home for me is the fact that they've made it very public that the Miz is about to become a dad, and all of those shots that Miz got to take because of that happening to be around this time really tied this together for me, and I really, really dug all of that. And then honestly, I think this might have been the best we've seen Jason Jordan on the microphone uh really maybe in his t- entire career i thought he's very believable i thought he was great in the backstage segment too where it, it feels all very genuine that he is sick and tired of everybody sort of running down on him and it, and it might not just be the boys in the back that he's talking about too like fans and all that uh and i think that plays out very well in this uh all the way across the board mm-hmm I think, though, a lot of that has to do with the fact that when it comes to Jordan on the microphone, a little bit of less is more may end up going a long way. Uh, you, you might be right there. Uh, I, he wasn't. It's not like he got a ton of time here uh, or anything like that to really say his piece, but I thought, to the point, very well worked out for him, and I, I thought he looked great here. Uh, and then in the main event, they kind of backpedaled on that a little bit because he didn't really get a lot of chances to shine and really look like he was dominant. It almost looked like he kind of lucked into his victory in that six-pack challenge uh, as he ends up hitting the neckbreaker on Curtis Axel at about the 11.5 mark. Yeah, and you're not wrong on that. I kind of feel the same exact way. I thought, oh, this is going to be all about Jason Jordan. He's going to overcome everything. He's going to take all other five guys and throw them around the ring. And sure, he's going to have his moments to be outside the ring and you know take his breaks. But I really felt like he was going to be the biggest story coming out of this. And what was the biggest story coming out of this? It was more about the other guys. I feel like the Hardys were a huge deal, like oh, Matt and Jeff and that thing. And then, of course, you know, the Miztourage and their interaction with Samson and all that stuff. So it, it really was like Jason Jordan was just kind of on the outside looking in until he 
stole the victory way, if you want to say it that way. Mm-hmm. No, I think stealing the victory is the exact way to describe it, especially considering that um, that Axel had just eaten a, a, a finish from somebody right before Jordan came in with that uh, gold-blooded neckbreaker as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that plays into this whole thing here like you were saying of you know stealing a victory like this and these other things i think you know i was talking uh, about this quite a bit last week uh, on the show and that was the fact that i've been getting impatient about this jason jordan thing and i'm trying to kind of get away from being impatient i just i'm ready i want to see this heel turn start to come into play and now that i've kind of become patient it seems like they're starting to go that route and it's still a slow burn but we're, we're getting there whereas compared to this, this week you know, we were kind of stalling a little bit. So this is interesting, and I'm kind of excited about what we're going to get next. I, I think the really interesting thing here is, one, that he does steal the victory, right? And, and the fun story that they could sort of spin out of this is almost that, you know, Kurt Angle got to the WWE and was a, an instant success, right? He won all these titles. He instantly shot up to the top of the card and uh, very quickly won the world title. And Jason failing at that, and then people comparing him to Kurt, and all this slowly chipping away at what they've at what he's sort of been so far, I feel like is a great slow burn to build up to something really fun here. Uh, and, and I'd be remiss in mentioning that the Miz and the Miseraj do a beatdown on Jason Jordan afterwards, and uh, say some very not so nice things about Kurt Angle and Jason Jordan. <laughs> Hey, how'd you enjoy that, Harry? I mean, did you did you like the you know, especially when the Miz's got him down on the mat? I I, I love that just that final exclamation to this whole beatdown. Well, not to mention a word that we don't traditionally hear used in the modern PG era of the WWE anymore when uh, Miz calls Jason Jordan a bastard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots of swearing on this episode of Raw, by the way. I, lots of swearing. you know. I was going to point that out a little bit later, specifically when we got to the Roman Reigns segment. Yeah, we, and we could save it till then. But you're right. I mean, that, and that, especially, you know, the, you know, when the Miz uses the exact word, I thought to myself, "Oh, I haven't heard of that since Attitude Era." Really, I don't think they haven't really thrown away around that word. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it seems like they're slowly trying to push push more and more of the boundaries of what they can and can't get away with on their programming while still maintaining that PG rating. I think for a lot of guys, that would be a great benefit, too, for sure. So, um, Speaking of the top two matches at No Mercy, first off, we get a pre-taped interview with Michael Cole sitting down with Brock Lesnar, Paul Heyman, and Braun Strowman. And this, I thought this was pretty good. I mean, you have Heyman doing his usual Heyman thing. You have Braun talking about how he basically no-sold the German last week and how that is just the tip of the iceberg, essentially, for when he's going to come in and wreck shop at No Mercy. And... uh you get late. You actually have Lesnar thanking Braun for challenging him because it makes him better. It puts him at his best, and uh, finishes off with a very nice suplex city bitch. Classy, classy Brock Lesnar. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, I, you know, this is fine. I mean, it works. You know, my problem is this is not like we have with Samoa Joe. It doesn't have the same feeling. I kind of enjoyed that, that one. This one. It was all right. That's about as far as I'm going to go. I think Braun Strowman works so much better in the middle of the ring or somewhere where we can see a full body shot of his size and use that more than him just sitting there speaking back and forth because neither of these guys really are, you know, 
great talkers. They're okay talkers, but not great talkers. Paul Heyman has to kind of be the star of this, and that's usual. So I I don't know. I don't know that I took anything away from this. All that I took away was they're kind of being lazy on getting these guys in the ring. That's about it. Yeah, I think keeping them out of the ring tonight was the best idea they had because of the physical interaction between the two of the men last week. At the same time, I do believe that the Samoa Joe Brock Lesnar face to face confrontation that they did on screen in the build up to the Great Balls of Fire pay per view was better. But I believe a lot of that has to do with the fact that Strowman's best when he doesn't have to say anything when he lets his actions do his talking for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I, I'm, I, I said it's lazy about those guys not actually facing it off in the ring I, i'm with you i don't want to really want to see that my just comment is really they didn't want to have you know one of the guys in the ring one of the guys on the titan tron right they made both guys sit backstage so i don't know i, I kind of like rom Strowman in front of you full body shot him out there interacting compared to you know like you said on the screen where really he doesn't really give it to you on that you know format I think we're, I mean, it's a very different feud as opposed to the Samoa Joe one that's been referencing, right? This is very much a big fight feel sort of thing that they're going for a la UFC sort of where you have big Brock Lesnar, you have big bad Braun Strowman in the corner, and the less they touch the better in my opinion just because it's going to make that match of no mercy feel so much more special. But this way, I think this is more about trying to play up to Brock Lesnar's strengths of being in a pre-tape area where he can sort of maybe just relax and not worry so much about what's happening in the live crowd or something like that. Uh, This is definitely where Brock works better, and I think this is just nice, easy build to Sunday where they want them to to have the big clash, and I, I think this works perfectly to that effect. Yeah, it it does. I mean, to each his own, right? I mean, you really like this. I thought it was okay. Mm. You know, for me personally, I would have rather seen an 80s montage where you have both guys getting ready for this big match and no mercy and you know they're they're working out they're doing all these things they're even peeing in a cup to make sure that they you know qualify to be in this whole match so I, I like this okay I would love that more would you stop <laughs> come on you would love it too Harry I approve of any and all uses of 80s montages <laughs> The other thing I thought also stood out here is I, I I just I don't feel Paul Heyman ever gets enough credit for his work in making up Lesnar to be the monster that Lesnar is as well. Les, uh, Heyman did an absolutely fantastic job once again tonight of hyping up uh, Brock Lesnar. In addition to the video package that they aired for the match a little bit earlier on in the show, going back to showing the promos that Paul was cutting in 2002 to describe Brock Lesnar, and then all of the hyping that Heyman did in the backstage pre-tape tonight as well. Once again, props to Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's we anybody did, better at selling a fight this day and age than, Bra- and than Paul Heyman. We did get to see Braun Strowman in some physical activity later on in the evening, however. We did. Mm-hmm. We will uh, most definitely get to that later. Because I want to talk about Roman Reigns getting to finally have his moment in the spotlight where he doesn't have to worry about John Cena making him look like uh, what, uh, an amateur. Yeah, <laughs> lesser than what he is. Uh, <laughs> and uh, they sort of play this up as Reigns is still talking about the same stuff, right? That John Cena's fake. He He's not John Cena, even though everybody keeps saying that he is. And he plays some footage from Cena running down the rock back in their build-up to two, in 2012 where 
Cena was criticizing The Rock for being a part-timer, and now it's sort of shifted a different way and uh, basically just calling Cena a flat-out liar. I thought this was fine. Uh, I mean, at least Roman doesn't look totally inferior when he's by himself, but I don't... Do you think this is too little too late? I think with everything that has happened in regards to Cena just completely ambushing Reigns in the build-up to this feud, I believe that Roman kind of needed to get these shots in tonight in order to retain some semblance of credibility here. And I like the fact that he used Cena's own words against him here. I like the fact that they referenced the history that Cena had in a similar situation with a guy who wasn't always around because of his other commitments keeping him away. Cena's other commitments here are keeping him away, and Roman, with the nice tribute at the very tail end, I thought was fantastic when he actually signed off with the exact same line that uh, that Cena signed off against Rock back in 2012 heading into WrestleMania 28. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I totally agree with all those you know assessments here. And you know, the one thing I will say is it's such a positive thing that we do have Roman Reigns coming out and having his opportunity and not have to worry about that huge giant shadow that overtakes him when Cena steps in the ring. But not only that, it's for the fact that we're not getting repetitive like we have been. I mean, I was kind of getting tired of this shtick. I mean, it was okay, but, you know, every single week we've got to hear this battle of words back and forth. And finally, we can just kind of get away from it. Roman Reigns does look good, which, like you guys said, it needed to be done. Uh, Let's just get to the point where by and i think everybody's ready for that so not i think this is definitely a lot better than i expected coming in i really thought we were going to have something i was going to be crapping on tonight and they didn't give us that they gave us something i can actually say okay good i'm happy absolutely um two questions in that regard here one what did you think of the vulgarity even with the seven second delay i think that maybe that's a little bit pushing the edge a little too far for the pg rating I mean, they're trying to find a way to make Roman feel different, right? This is definitely a way to do that. Yeah, it's definitely a way to do it. And it's kind of interesting, Paul, and you brought up a great question. I think it was last week or the week before. I'm not sure which one, but you were asking me about how I felt because it is seeming like Roman Reigns is getting this edge and they're trying to find a way to pull in that crowd by, you know, letting him use vulgarity and he gets to be that guy that's just different. And Mm -hmm. is that good? Is that edge to him something that's working or not working? And I I was wondering if they would continue on with it because that vulgarity that you're speaking of, Harry, I I don't know how that matches up with Mattel because I thought the whole purpose of the PG era was to keep kids all coming to the ring, you know, clapping their hands and watching these guys that are superheroes and they're doing all these things, but then you got a guy like this who's swearing, and, and now, I mean, we're supposed to be like, okay, he's the model for my kid. I don't know the parents are watching this saying, oh, yes, I can't wait. Maybe nowadays, maybe things have lined up a lot nowadays compared to parenting, I guess, when I was a child, but I, I don't know. It makes me very curious about this and how they're doing this. Well, that's the thought that I had about it is my question was, is when did the WWE try to go from trying to make Roman Reigns into the next John Cena into trying to make him the next Stone Cold Steve Austin? Mm-hmm. Because Austin was the same way in that he got he got similarly over, over based on his verbiage mm-hmm. and the word and what words he chose to use and how he chose to use them. Yeah, the only thing. 
thing is, is that I, I can understand that for sure, but I, I really still question that to this day because Steve Austin had a few things on his side. One thing was is he was overcoming authority. The authority was really pushing him down, and he was the guy that was overcoming all that. You know, everybody hates their boss. Well, he, he's getting to beat the crap out of his boss. He's getting to swear like a sailor. He's a rebel. No one looks at Roman Reigns as a rebel, even mm-hmm. if he is against John Cena, the Superman of WWE. It's still not very rebellious, and he's not an old redneck from Texas, right? He's just a normal Samoan guy with long hair and tattoos. Okay, so that's my problem. I don't know. They're probably going for that, but I, it's not working for me. The difference is it, it's time frame, right? The 90s was edgy, was about pushing the envelope everywhere, no matter where you were, wrestling, uh, television, I- anything in the media was basically trying to push edges and see how far you could really take something. Uh, and we're definitely not in that same time frame now where I feel like politically, socially, it's 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 more about trying to uh, rein all that sort of back in and get to a happy medium of here's a time to be edgy and here's a time to be uh, sort of, I guess politically correct is the term uh <laughs> i i don't know if they're trying to toe that line or not with roman because there were certainly times where he's very golly gee i'm i'm just here to fight and then there's this sort of roman reigns that we're getting to see recently where it's more edgy more trying to find that audience and maybe it's just them trying to capture the attention of guys our age trying to get them behind him because i mean you already have kids and and women, for the most part, behind him uh, still. I, I don't know. Maybe they're just trying to reach a different audience with him now. Yeah, but there's a long way to go from the suffering succotash Roman to this Roman, though. You're, you are sure right about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they're trying to reach the audience like you know our age and maybe guys a little younger, that's, that's grand. You need to do that because... This is still a big audience that's watching, uh, even though you know statistics and all that may not say that. There's still a huge audience in that format, and uh, you got to understand I, that's a big turnaround for us. That's a hard turnaround for us. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would assume that males 18 to 49 are still there, probably their target demographic. I well, mean, regardless regardless of the PG era speculations mm-hmm. or stipulations, no, excuse me. I don't doubt that. I think you're right. I just, it, you know, when them gearing all the stuff to the kids, and then, of course, when you get the stats back about who watches wrestling, it's like, oh, the 55-year-olds are the ones watching wrestling. So it's it's a weird set of circumstances all the way around. I do question target audience at times because it seems to fluctuate almost weekly. Like some weeks it seems like they're trying to pander to 18 to 49. Some weeks it seems like they're trying to pander to teenagers some weeks it seems like they're trying to pander straight up to kids, and it depends even on a weekly basis, show to show, what you're watching. So, I, in, in an effort to bring more variety, there, I think they've lost focus, and and that might be the biggest story of the PG era is them trying to be too much of a variety show and not enough of what they actually are. Mm-hmm. It ends up being a case of having to serve too many masters and not being able to serve any of them. Right. Right. Sadly, Alex Riley is on the outside looking in too. By the way, so. <laughs> um, 
I'm not going to lie. I chuckled at the Alex Riley remark. I did too. <laughs> I, I, knew, I, I shouldn't. I feel bad for the guy, but it made me laugh. I know. Man, <laughs> so sad. Uh, cutting to what we were talking about earlier, you have Enzo come out and do a shtick talking about winning the Cruiserweight title. Enough of that shit, though, because here comes Braun to just straight up murder him. Absolutely kills him at the top of the ramp, drags him to the ring, choke slams, running powerbomb. He leaves. Here comes Neville to sort of pick up the pieces and hits a red arrow on him to to just sort of rub salt in the wound. And then he mocks him. Uh, Enzo gets hauled out by uh, some medical staff. And then Neville has a pretty fun little short sprint with Grand Metallic, which really kind of what's the palette for if they ever decide to do something with Grand Metallic, these two could really put on something super special given the chance. Um, I have an issue with that match. Okay, go for it. We now know, we now know what Grand Metallic looks like under the mask. <laughs> Cause he tore that mask a little bit too far tonight. Well, he's a king. You can get away with stuff like that. Yeah, but I would imagine Metallic was legit pissed off about it though i'm sure i'm trying to remember uh was it wasn't it a couple of years ago we had a similar situation with del rio and sin cara i think you're right uh, i remember sin cara being in that mixture somewhere mm-hmm. and they had a match on an episode of raw and del rio went to remove the mask and he removed it at such an angle that the camera caught sin cara's face there's a lot of real heat yeah, there too. i, I do remember too. that yeah, that's what I'm saying, though. So, I mean, other than that, I actually, I agree. The match was really good, and I'm kind of hoping. I mean, it feels like the obvious way, based on how things went tonight, the obvious way the Cruiserweight division is going is Enzo getting the title on Sunday, and I genuinely hope that doesn't happen because it would be a tremendous disservice to everything that Neville has accomplished within the division, and I do feel like matches such as the one he had against Grand Metallic tonight should be what the Cruiserweight division is co- capable of delivering on a night-in, night-out basis. Mm-hmm. No, I'm right there with you. I, I want to see that kind of competition. I, I want to see those type of matches. I really don't have a lot of interest in Enzo Amore. It's been a little while since I have, and you know, I kind of feel the same way as you do, Harry. If there's a situation where we have Enzo Amore work walking out of No Mercy as the Cruiserweight Champion, I'm going to feel just like uh, he did when he got knocked down by Braun Strowman because. It, it's just going to be a huge, huge bummer. I just, I do have no interest in this guy and him getting the cruiserweight title. Just screams, "Hey, this is why you shouldn't care about this title." Instead of saying, "Hey, this is why you should," and all the good things that have been kind of coming out of Neville being that champion. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Uh, this is a guy we don't want on Raw. You suckers on Two Hundred Five Live can deal with him. Yeah. <laughs> It's such a wet blanket. I'm sorry. He's just so he he's just so unlikable. You heard the crowd tonight. They're booing him as he's doing his whole stick. I mean, it's it's just come to fruition. That that was one of the bigger reactions. This crowd wasn't always all that great at reactions. And then the one thing that I can notice out of them is they didn't like Enzo either. Mm-hmm. I mean, they totally <laughs> exposed him by moving him. Right. I mean, now you know that. Basically, he's a, a one-trick pony with the promos, and uh, he can't... They put him on a show where work rate is important, and that is his least valuable skill that he has. 
at the same time, though, personality doesn't always necessarily come through on 205 Live, so I understand the decision. I just think immediately positioning him into a cruiserweight title feud was a bad idea, given his current social status in the WWE and what is and isn't known about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a fair point, too. We, we talk about that often, that they need personality on 205 Live, and Enzo was certainly that at one time, and maybe if they did it a month or two earlier, that might have been a home run swing, but right now it's... There's so much bad stuff coming about him online, and he's just been, I think, totally exposed during the uh, big cast view just because Cass murdered him the whole time. Like, he doesn't feel like anybody who's going to do anything other than just run his mouth, and nobody wants to really see one half of the equation anymore, if you ask me. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Um, getting through some of the other mid-card stuff here, too, you have Dustin Rhodes approach Kurt Angle. Uh, not as Goldust, he's just straight up Dustin Rhodes, and he wants a rematch with Bray Wyatt, which he reluctantly gets from the general manager. And it's a short little fiery two and a half minutes of Dustin Rhodes trying like hell to get one over Bray, and it's just not going to happen. Runs straight into Sister Abigail, and that's all she wrote. What was the purpose in this? I I, I, I don't know. Like I, I Dustin Rhodes, it, it, that's fine, I guess. I mean... Uh, Exposing him, is that such a big deal? I guess not. We've seen Dustin Rose before. Um, but here's the thing. I don't know why they're doing it or really where this is coming from. This is about Bray Wyatt, and this is about Finn Balor. And, yes, you don't want to overdo the Finn Balor-Bray stuff. Guess what? It's already done. You, you've already way overdone it anyway. Mm-hmm. So adding Dustin Rhodes here, it, it, it's I don't know. I just don't like it. I get what he is. He's filler. It's just, to me, it, it, sends, it sends a bad message because here's the thing. I was excited about four weeks, five weeks ago about the fact that we were possibly getting someone added to maybe a stable or some kind of situation where he was going to be the mentor to somebody. And now it seems like that's out the window. Goldust is no longer going to have that student. And that, that really bums me out. I was looking forward to that. I feel like Dustin has so much more to give to the company still, and they're just so hesitant to let him do it. Because every time he's been on television ever since he came back over to Raw and he started getting away from the Golden Truth tag team, which I thought was kind of a step down for him in terms of personality. Ever since he's gotten away from that Golden Truth tag team and away from the mini feud that he had with R-Truth afterwards, it's it's seemingly like he's in character purgatory because they don't know what they want to do with him. One week they have plans for him. The next week he's completely off the show. The next week they have plans for him again. The next week he's off the show again. And then these last couple of weeks, he's been fodder in the Bray Wyatt-Finn Balor feud. He he's a plot device is what he is right now, because the the point where Bray and Finn is and this is what Finn brings up in his promo afterwards talks. He talks about how a man created the demon persona and that's how, you know, that's what makes it more dangerous. Is it the persona or is it the man? And that's what Dustin Rhodes is here, right? Bray stripped off the pain of him last week. Dustin Rhodes wants to prove that even just him is good enough and it's not. And that's that's. What they're trying to get at here without so much as just throwing it in your face, I feel like. Um, So to that end, I felt like that was kind of cool because wrestling doesn't usually have that kind of depth in its storytelling. But at the same time, it comes at the expense of somebody who, like Gary mentioned, we were both really excited to see what his new masterpiece was going to be. It seems like that is just completely off the table now and Dustin is is background. Mm -hmm. 
I, I would have loved it if he would have came out in like an ECW t-shirt compared to the gold dust outfit. You know, <laughs> I mean, that would make me feel a lot better than just seeing, you know, oh, I'm half of gold dust. I don't know. It just, mm, I, I, I got it. Next week, gold dust comes out dressed like an IRS tax agent. <laughs> uh, Bo may uh, sub sub to him then. And Bo's like, hey, uh, fa- oh, I'm sorry. You're not my dad. <laughs> Whoops. He's old enough to be Mike Rotunda's age. Pretty sure they're about the same age. They probably are. You're right. Oh, man. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, you know, Dustin Rose has been around the business a long time. You just don't think about it. But, you know, at least he's involved. I'll say that. I'm just glad he's still around. 25 plus years. I was just watching an episode of uh, an old WCW pay per view from like 1992, and he's the natural Dustin Rhodes on there. That's 25 years ago. That's bad. He's got to wow. be close to pushing 30 years in the business. Like, he's been around a long time. Man, it's amazing. Uh, Kurt Hawkins gets some promo time. They bring up his losing streak. He has lost 114 matches in a row. I don't know how you guys feel about losing streak stories, but they're usually fairly hit or miss and much more on the miss side, if you ask me. But he comes out and gets squashed by Apollo Crews in two and a half minutes. I feel the same way about losing streak storylines that I do about winning streak storylines. They don't really do anybody any favors in the long run because once they end, what's next? Very true. And the one thing that I learned is, you know, Apollo Crews actually can win and he actually can beyond Monday Night Raw without just being in a backstage <laughs> segment. So there you go, guys. He does wrestle. You know, if they're done with Apollo, with uh, Akira Tozawa and Neville for the Cruiserweight title, why not just put Tozawa and Cruz in the tag team division? The tag team division needs bodies, and they're very entertaining together. Plus, they have a history of teaming together in Dragon Gate as well that I think could establish them as a legitimate tag team in the WWE. You are absolutely correct. I just, I don't know... If WWE is ready to blur the line between 205 Live and the rest of the heavyweight division, essentially, whether it's tag team, intercontinental, whatever. Unless your name is Enzo Amore and you have to take ass beating after ass beating. Mm -hmm. Basically, oh, go ahead, Gary. No, no, no. Say what you're going to say. Basically, it's almost like 205 is a a last ditch for, for guys that they don't have nothing for. And Enzo just happened to be a perfect fall guy for that. Yeah. It's true. What I had to say was not important. I was just going to say Enzo Amore is put in this situation because it's punishment. No one likes him. <laughs> He's just getting punished. <laughs> Roman's like, throw him in a squash match. Oh, yes, sir. <laughs> uh, let's talk about the tag team stuff because this might have been the best part of the show if you ask me. If Cesaro and Sheamus come out, they talk down about the nostalgia stuff, how they beat up the Hardys. Uh, and now that's why people like Rollins and Ambrose too. It's another nostalgia run. Uh, and they're basically getting wooded the whole time, uh, because Cesaro and Sheamus's delivery isn't exactly intriguing here, but here comes, uh, here comes Rollins and Ambrose and they, they run down Sheamus and Cesaro, which I enjoyed much more. And they, uh, they start talking about their relationship a little bit. And then here comes Gallison Anderson we have a big old brawl, basically, which leads to a triple threat tag team match, which is super fun. It gets almost 20 minutes. Cesaro and Sheamus end up stealing one after a blind tag to Ambrose that allows Cesaro, or Cesaro, excuse me, Sheamus to follow up uh, on Ambrose's dirty deeds with a quick pin. 
Your guys' thoughts on Cesaro and Sheamus almost murdering Seth Rollins with a 3D. <laughs> I, uh, I will pass the buck and say your thoughts on Cesaro's insane leap after they won the match of leaping over the crowd almost <laughs> <laughs> into Sheamus's awaiting arms. <laughs> Some, sometimes you just need a hug. Sometimes you yeah. do. <laughs> And sometimes Seth Rollins needs a neck massage. That looked rough, in my opinion. That being said, the match was good, but I think it was a mistake because we're going to be seeing Seth Rollins and Ambrose taking on Sheamus and Cesaro on Sunday night. I feel like they would have been better off sticking to the original plan of the Cesaro and Sheamus versus Gallows and Anderson match to keep the physical interaction between the two tag teams fighting for the tag team titles on Sunday away from each other. Yeah, I'm usually in favor of that as well, right? To, you know, kind of save it. Let it, let it, you know, us kind of wonder and question what the match could be instead of, hey, here's a preview. You kind of saw half the match here. Just come finish it next uh, next weekend or this weekend, you know. So I, I kind of look at it the same way, Harry. The one thing I will say is that they did a pretty decent job of keeping everything interesting in this match. Sometimes I hate these multi-man matches. They kind of get to be monotonous. But I think in this format, they all did a pretty decent job. And uh, I will say, you know, they actually entertained me also coming into the ring besides just the match. I, I think they did a pretty good job of, you know, Sheamus and Cesaro getting a lot of heat from the crowd and doing their thing. And then, of course, you bring in Gals and Anderson doing the nerd stuff. And I think it actually worked for the most part. I usually kind of get a little weary about them. But I think for the most part, I was really happy with that. And I am not a huge fan of this Ambrose and Rollins tag team only because – I just I've yet to see something I should care about from for me personally. I love though their interaction tonight, and I love the Ambrose freaking out about the nerd thing. I think that was funny. So they did something that made me happy tonight. I'm glad. I thought the match was was great. I don't mind so much the triple threat thing here, just because I felt like Anderson and Gallows did most of the work, whether they were selling for the bar or whether they were selling for two thirds of the shield. Uh, and then at the end, you have the fun little crazy sprint to the end that that led to a, a fun a fun finish where I don't think, you know, you're obviously not doing anything with Gals and Anderson right now, which sucks, but uh, you have the challengers looking strong and, and sort of getting a one-up over the challenge, over the champions going into Sunday. And I, it's not like it's the most interesting thing going, but it is the most solid thing going inside the ring right now, if you ask me. Yeah. I, I want to give credit to Gallows and Anderson in the fact that they're seemingly turning the crowd reactions around for them as well. Uh, the vast majority of that audience seemed to be pro-Gallows and Anderson tonight. Mm -hmm. I think that nerds thing is working pretty well, honestly. <laughs> Not to mention the whole Good Brothers thing, too. Yeah. I mean, people have been wanting to cheer for them for a long time, too, since they got here. So it's kind of nice for your, at least them to get an opportunity and a crowd hook and all that to, to get some momentum you, going. Do you feel like the rumors are of uh, the potential Balor Club slash, I mean, obviously they're not going to call it the Bullet Club, but that version in the WWE is a possibility with the way that they're seemingly edging uh, Anderson and Gallows closer and closer towards the babyface side of the fence? Uh, I'm going to go with maybe because they tow that line every once in a while and then very quickly pull away from it. And with how often I think they've sort of start stopped stuff on Raw recently, I don't know if I would hang my hat on it, but I would not be shocked, especially if the steam keeps on picking up across the country for, for the Good Brothers. 
Yeah, I, I think that there has to be that line that they want to cross, and I don't know that they want to right now. I'm not sure that they're interested in that because I think they're so focused on seeing what they can do with Finn, even though right now they're not really using him in the main event picture. I think they're still curious if they can find a good rhythm for him, and they've yet to do that. And, of course, this Bray Wyatt thing, to me, never makes it better. It just stalls him out. So who knows? Uh, the one thing that I would say was I would love it if they do decide to go that route to see maybe a, a team like the Miztourage or somebody, a three-man team come and you know, beat down Balor and make him look bad, and then he calls upon the Good Brothers to help him. And that's when I'll be excited. And that's something that they kind of teased before when Miz was going to feud with Balor over the IC title until they decided to switch last second into the Balor and Wyatt feud, which has done neither Finn nor Bray any favors. And it's kind of sad to think about that, given the fact that when he came up last year, Bray was, or Finn was arguably the hottest act on Raw. And Bray Wyatt, who is a character that a lot of people are willing to sink their teeth into, but have never been given an actual storyline reason, and especially not this year with the stuff with Randy Orton and then the stuff with Finn Balor to want to sink their teeth into the Bray Wyatt character. I Bray is real hit or miss, right? Cause I think at the end of last year, going into all the way up till he won the title, people were very interested in him just because that story with Randy was, was hot. And then the build up to mania and everything afterwards, just absolutely slayed anything he had going for him with how, Poorly, that concept was executed at WrestleMania, as well as how you know piss poor that match was. And I, uh, ever since then, they've just sort of been treading water with Bray once again, and it really kind of sucks. Uh, just because, like you said, people do want to get behind him at times, and when they do it right, it really works. And when clearly they they have nothing for him, it it just absolutely kills anything he's doing. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I, you know, I, I wanted to be the big Bray Wyatt fan I once was, and I still love him. Um, but I, I just I have nothing for him right now. And I, I don't get excited anymore when he's out there. I don't really care either way, and I want to get back to that point where I do care. Yeah, surprisingly, creative doesn't have anything for him either. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, before we tie things up with the women's division talk, uh, obviously we lost a, a legend yesterday in Bobby the Brain Heenan. Raw dedicates the episode to him. They have some video packages for him throughout the show. Uh, anything you guys want to say? I know uh, Wrestling and Rap dedicated their last episode to him on Sunday. I know we're, we tonight on W2M, I think, are going to do a special episode just about Bobby. Uh, but is there anything you guys want to sort of say here and now, maybe? Um, I'm going to say that if it weren't for people like Bobby Heenan, I wouldn't have decided to take the route that I did into professional wrestling as a commentator. Um, Bobby Heenan is one of those guys who, when you go back and you listen to his work, and especially his WWF work before he moved over to WCW, because obviously towards the end of his run in WCW, his interest level was clearly waning. But when he was doing his WWF work, especially in the late 80s and early 90s with Gorilla Monsoon in all of their glory, there wasn't a better announced team in professional wrestling history. Um, Godspeed to the family and... I'm hoping that Gorilla has already told Bobby, would you stop now that they're calling matches upstairs? <laughs> I could just see it now. They did a thing for uh, Primetime Now, which is an account on Twitter that used to uh, like tweet out what would happen with Gorilla and Brain Commentary had the show been happening. 
with uh, Monsoon and Heenan on commentary, and one of the tweets that they sent out yesterday got me a little misty-eyed. It said, um, Monsoon, with it, it's good to see you, and then Heenan's like, yeah, I missed you, you big ape. <laughs> Man, that's an awesome tweet. Got me a little misty-eyed seeing that. Yeah. You know, it's so funny because when we do lose wrestling superstars, legends, people that we've watched for years and years, or people that we've admired, sometimes it's it's really impactful, and other times you're just kind of like, oh, that's sad, and then you move on, right? Bobby Heenan is a guy that really we haven't seen around, unless you maybe went to some autograph signings, maybe you went to some events and he's been there, but we haven't seen him on WWE television and ever because they refused to put him on television uh, of course you know his physical state later in life was some reason they didn't want him on there i'm sure uh and some other places we just don't get a chance to see him and so it's been a while since he's been in that limelight but still he's been close to my heart forever i came in watching wcw that was my first interaction i didn't watch old wbf until later in life and all that so when I walked in, he was my color commentator, and I loved this guy to death. Him and Tony Schiavone, one of the best broadcast team, if you per- in my personal opinion, that I've always enjoyed. And I still to this day would take that any time that they would be giving it to me. So I, I think a lot of Bobby Heenan. I- I've always thought he was that uncle that, you know, my, my uncle uncle wrestling, if I can say it that way, right? He made me laugh. He he was the guy, you know, you would think, oh, he'd be the one to show you a dirty magazine when you're a kid, right? Things like that because he's so <laughs> goofy and he's funny, but also, also he's serious and he, he makes a lot of sense. And he's that guy that's going to teach you life lessons. I, I just – there's so much about Bobby Heenan. I, I could sit here and we'll, we'll do that later on – Mine and Paul's show, Wrestling to the Max, talk a little bit more about him. But all I have to say is we lost a big legend, and I definitely think that you know now that we finally get a chance to see more of his stuff come out and be more present, people are going to want to go check this guy out more because what I saw in Raw just reminded me of why I love this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is definitely one that hit close to home for me. I, I grew up... Uh, when Heenan was basically on the outs with WWE, and then uh, whenever he got to WCW, I got to see a lot of him there, as well as my going back through and watching a lot of older wrestling. Um, honestly, I don't think there's been a better heel manager at not only putting over a talent that he is managing who's involved in a story, as well as running down the other guy all at the same time in less than five minutes. The dude is is just untouchable. Uh, and as a commentator, I don't know if anything else really needs to be said after what Gary and Harry said, but uh, there there are so many hilarious clips of Bobby Heenan on commentary in both in both the WWF and WCW uh, that there are just in numerous 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 videos out there for sure. But one of my favorites there's there's a um, there's a video out there of Hacksaw Jim Duggan on WCW Worldwide squashing somebody. <laughs> and Tony Schiavone calls him an intelligent man. And Bobby Heenan spends the entire five minutes laughing. <laughs> I, I, I know the exact match you're talking about. One of my friends just brought it up to me earlier today. And yeah, it's, it's awesome. 
It is absolutely one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen in my life. Uh, <laughs> you, Everybody out there owes it to themselves to go watch that video as well as whatever else that guy, uh, what else you can find. He's just a tremendous talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. One other thing, well, two other things that I wanted to say real quick about Brain before we move on to closing up the show here. Uh, one is that... Bobby Heenan is one of the – a lot of times when wrestlers die, you hear people who have positive things to say about them and then people who have had negative things to say about them. And then it comes out after they're gone like such and such was a terrible person behind the scenes and stuff. You've never heard that about Bobby. Mm-hmm. Bob, Despite playing this villainous heel manager, despite playing this villainous heel commentator, nobody outside of – once they were done feuding with him, nobody had anything bad to say about Bobby Heenan. It was always positive. It was always about what a great guy Bobby was. It was always about what a professional Bobby was. It was always about how spectacularly capable at his job Bobby was. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the things that kind of sets brain out to me apart to me. And then uh, to touch on your thing about the manager's thing that you mentioned there, Paul – uh, when the WWE did their DVD of Wrestling's Greatest Managers, I'm reminded of the uh, the, the DVD itself here. And um, number one, Bobby Heenan. And then the very first thing you see is Kevin Nash. And it's like like there was any doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and to, to your point there, too, there's when, when Gorilla Monsoon died, uh, they... Bobby Heenan was working for WCW at the time, if I remember correctly. Um, and they give... Flip two. So, sorry? I, I watched that clip earlier tonight. If Yeah, if you need a very genuine picture of the man, Bobby the Brain Heenan, go watch that. It is absolutely one of the most heartbreaking and heartfelt messages I think he's probably ever delivered in his career. If you YouTube search uh, Gorilla Monsoon Bobby Heenan, it's the second video listed. Uh, it's I think the title of it is something along the lines of Bobby Heenan says goodbye to Gorilla Monsoon. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's a super classy video. So, uh, tying a, a bow on this show though, and moving away from uh, the, that very depressing news, uh, you have Alexa Bliss take on Nia Jax, which I thought was a mistake from the get go. Uh, this goes about seven minutes. There's not a whole lot going on because obviously they're trying to save as much possible for Sunday. Uh, Naya ends up winning after catching Alexa in a, uh, a high body cross and hits a Samoan drop to get the victory. Uh, Post match, you have Sasha and uh, the returning Bailey come in to try to. Uh, oh, well, okay. During the match, you have Banks show up to keep Alexa from leaving. Post-match, she jumps into the ring. Jax lays her out. Here comes the returning Bailey. Uh, you have those two end up thwarting Jax, uh, and Bliss tries to hang out with them and look like she uh, is their buddy, and she ends up getting laid out too. And this, of course, ends up leading to Bailey being added to the women's championship match this Sunday. So now it is a fatal four-way. Five. Oh, oh yeah, Emma. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't know, obviously, from tonight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. No. No way. No way. Uh, they could have her on. I guess somehow. Uh, and I guess it would mess up the rhythm of everything. But still, that's a big point I wanted to make. And we we spent all this time. Hey, you know, I'm here. I'm you know, of course, the starter of the you know women's revolution. But yet, I can't be on this episode. So it's weird to me. She was. She was back home in Australia. They actually mentioned it on commentary. Okay, so I missed that part. I, but still, I, I think they should have at least had something, you know. But yeah, 
As far as the match goes, the match was kind of cookie cutter. It was what it was. I dis- I disagree with pinning the champion six days before the pay-per-view. That being said, I think Alexa trying to sneak in in the middle of Bailey and Sasha's little love fest at the end by raising both of their hands, it made me chuckle. So I, I thought it was funny that Bailey- that even Alexa realized, hey, if we work together, we can get rid of Nia. And then they're like, uh, no, we'll work together to get rid of Nia. You're on your own. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's kind of funny. I kind of waited for the trifecta. I was kind of thinking, well, maybe Sasha? Hmm, is she going to kick Bailey now? You know, I kind of thought it may be now, but we may be seeing that Sunday, not tonight. I think they'll interact on Sunday, but I think it's going to end up slow burning a little bit longer. Honestly, if it wasn't, if it's going to happen, I think it'll happen closer to the Rumble heading into next year at WrestleMania. Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. It's got to take some time, but it, it's still that question always is in the back of your mind, right? Mm-hmm. Agreed. I I think they missed an opportunity to really try to recapture the magic at SummerSlam, but uh, it's not like you can really deny what Alexa Bliss is and what they want from Nia Jax. So uh, I thought tonight was sort of a misstep entirely going into that match because I I felt kind of deflated afterwards, but. The faces look strong. You have sort of an alliance and an out if Nia doesn't win now, which might be what they're after here. But uh, honestly, I don't know if this really helped my, you know, hype train going into the Sunday at all for that match. I felt like it took away. Well, with Raw tonight being in San Jose as well, returning Bailey in her hometown led to a pretty good reaction for Bailey too, though. That's true. I mean, it was a decent. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I was still disappointed. I thought it was going to be a huge pop, and I, I guess for my TV, I don't know if I was broken or something, but I, I kind of heard half the crowd excited. And I mean, it was you know kind of a weird night for the crowd personally watching it. Um, Agreed. I, 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 I think I expected a way louder reaction, but she got a decent reaction. Not not hating on that. I'm just saying I expected more. Mm-hmm. We also get not one, but two hype videos for Asuka, so uh, they really want to hammer home that point, which I greatly approve of. Yeah, Asuka's going to come up to Raw when she's over her shoulder injury and just straight up start murdering bitches. You show right. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't wait for it, guys. It's going to be so much fun, and and those people that don't watch it next year are going to be like, who the heck is it? (laughs) You show right. So... Not a whole lot left, guys, but to put a number on this. So, uh, Harry, what uh, what you going to give it? Uh, six. Go home standards. It was what it was. Uh, y- you don't expect much in the way of in-ring action, but we actually got a fairly decent amount of that tonight. And the two of the matches that we did have tonight stood out to me as being very good. The triple threat tag match was good, and then Neville and Metalik was pretty good. I thought the six-pack challenge at the end of the show was a little bit of a disappointment, but I think... We had so much hype building into that that it wasn't going to live up to expectations anyway. I feel like the storyline segments is where they kind of shine tonight, though. I really enjoyed Roman's promo because I thought he finally got to look good in this feud, which is odd because Cena's been kicking his butt throughout the majority of it. Um, The backstage interaction between Braun and Brock was a good way to continue their argument without having any kind of physicality between them. And Miz continues to dominate with his microphone skills. Seriously, somebody reward this man with a heavyweight title. Yeah, you know, I wish they would, for God's sakes, but uh, I think that may be far-fetched, only because I just don't, They, for some reason, don't see it. I don't know. 
Uh, six is good to me. Uh, I like the number six for here because of the fact that I think they give you some quality stuff, kind of, you know, like Perry said in the storylines. Uh, some pretty decent wrestling here. Really enjoyed some moments. Some of the moments I, I could have done without. Uh, you know, uh, for the most part, I, I will say they did a good job on kind of mixing things up a little bit here. It, it wasn't perfect, but at least it wasn't a ho-hum, go-home show. I was really expecting us to be bored to death with a recap after recap, and then not much substance in between. And they gave me more, way more substance than I was really expecting. So very happy with that. A six is what I'm going I don't know if I want to go a, a whole six. I am willing to go a five and a half, though. I thought the women's stuff was a large misstep. I thought the tag team work was very good. The Intercontinental title focus on both Jason Jordan and The Miz at the beginning of the show I thought was great. And the two uh, segments they did for the two matches you probably care about the most this Sunday were both solid as well. So uh, I, I also mark for Braun absolutely annihilating Enzo, which is probably where that point five comes in. So... <laughs> Yeah, very true. So, but yeah, uh, that is our Monday Night Raw review tonight. We uh, definitely appreciate everybody for joining us. This has been really fun. I mean, we usually get a chance to hear Harry Broadhurst over on the SmackDown Live at 205 Live. So, man, Harry, uh, it's awesome having you here on Raw at least a, a time or two. And I'm glad you joined us tonight. This is a, a really big show we're going into with No Mercy. And I'm glad you got to chime in with us, buddy. Yeah, I figured I hadn't done enough shows with Paul lately. I might as well jump in on another one because we also just did the we also just did the May Young Classic over on w2mnet.com as well. Yeah, definitely. I've been promoting it as much as possible. Ask Paul. I mean, I have been promoting it every chance I get. And everybody listening right now, go listen to it. Trust me, it's worth your time. These guys are a lot of fun. It'll be lots of laughs. And, of course, lots of information. So go check out that May Young Classic. Go check out also some other stuff. Harry, plug the rest of your stuff, Ben. Um, in addition to doing the SmackDown Live and 205 Live reviews here on the W2M Network, I also host The Kickoff with Stephen Err and Brandon Biscabing, which is a weekly football discussion show for both college and NFL, if interested. If you would much rather hear me through a wrestling fix, however, you can listen to myself and my co-host Patrick Ketza as we present Wrestling Unwrapped every Sunday night. This Sunday, we're going to be doing Woo Reacts to No Mercy. Next Sunday, we tackle the 20th anniversary of the Hell in a Cell. We go back to Bad Blood, 1997. It's going to be awesome. What an up and down show that one is. (laughs) Yeah. But still, the anniversary thing is cool to me. I didn't even know it was that long. Yeah. Four four days from 20 years. October 5th, 1997 was the date. We'll be covering it on October 1st. Cool. So, yeah, definitely need to go check that out. Um, and it definitely, you know, once again, you can go find all this content that Harry just told you and a lot more over there at WTMnet.com. Also, you know, I mentioned Wrestling to the Max is a place where you can go search out any place you can find podcasts, but also the WTM Network is a place as well because you'll get everything Harry just mentioned and, of course, all of our content. And, uh, you know, it's just a great way to get all your wrestling fix in with a lot of different formats and just so much to enjoy. So trust me. Great place to go and, uh, you know, join up. Uh, well, and not only that, guys, uh, we are done. Uh, and, of course, once again, thank you to Harry. I uh, appreciate Paul, like always. And I am Gary Vaughn. And for tonight, we will bid you adieu. Until next time, see you down the road, guys. Have a good one, everybody. The following podcast is a W2M Network original production.
Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.